Welcome to the Brown Posey Press Show, part of the Books Big Network, a program dedicated to independent and self-published authors. This show will examine new and unique works of literature, learn about their creators, and discuss the industry. And now your host, Tori Gates. My guest for this program brings us to small town life in Vermont in a time where change comes slowly and, as is often the case, is feared. Wild Mountain is the third novel by Nancy Hayes Kilgore. Mona Duval lives in a town where the river flows beneath a covered bridge, but when that bridge collapses, it seems her life does as well. Into Mona's life comes Frank, a seasonal character, her close friends Roz and Heather and other locals that make life at least interesting. Look magic. She's also the author of the book Sea Level and has contributed stories to Vermont Magazine, Bloodroot Literary Magazine, The Bottle Imp, and Vermont Public Radio. And if you haven't guessed, lives very close to the Green Mountain State. Nancy, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to talk to you. And a disclaimer, the host is also from Vermont. That's great. What part of Vermont? Uh, I grew up uh, in a town called Cambridge in the northwestern part of the state, yeah. right up in ski country. Yeah, I know Cambridge. Yeah, not that far from Burlington. Yes, about about thirty minutes east. And mm-hmm. uh, as a, as an old friend of mine likes to joke, uh, you're the only town with three main streets because <laughs> Route 15 runs through it, and we have two parallel streets that take you to all the houses and the businesses along the the main drag. And so, yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of a joke. Well, yeah, it's. Um, Really interesting, uh, Nancy, because the first things that hit me about Wild Mountain as I was reading was how you did what so many readers want to be taken somewhere. And you put us in a small town in Vermont that is so much like mine, and we just talked about it. Um, oh. I don't assume it was too difficult, but what was it like to you know, to choose this place and to cite this story there? Yeah, well, I was living in rural Vermont uh, at the time, and I'm still in Vermont, obviously, but it's not rural. And um, I, had, I had been writing, and I, I um, my first book, Sea Level, was from the points of view of two women, and I'd never written anything from a man's point of view. So, I, I, and I'd never written a short story, <laughs> so that's what I did in the, my first chapter. It didn't from, was from Frank's point of view, but didn't end up from his point of view <laughs> after many rewrites and edits and everything. And we've been through those. Um, how difficult was it for you to put yourself into the shoes and into the body of, of a, of a man was, uh, how much of a challenge was that? Well, it was a bit of a challenge, but I, I took as a model, well, not exactly a model, but similar, a friend, uh, an old friend of ours for Frank. And also I, um, I, I kind of identified with Frank's personality, not completely, but but a little bit. He's very easygoing and um, you know spontaneous, and uh, likes to keep traveling, moving around, and he's had an interesting life. So, yeah, it was fun. I want to ask a little more about him in a second, but Mona Duval is our lead, so to speak, and really a well-drawn character. It was like, this is somebody I, I would have known growing up in Vermont. This is someone I would yeah. have, I would have hung out with. Yeah. Mona is a small town, uh, owner of the general store, which in Vermont is pretty iconic. You probably yeah. know that every little town has a little general store. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, with often with the post office attached like this was. And um, so there are a couple of little little town stores that I use as a model for that. And Mona, Mona is very, you know, independent, and she has a history of, you know, a difficult marriage in the past, and she's trying to, you know, get through that, and she's kind of the center of the of the little town in some ways because everybody comes to the store. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's like the the life of a small town always revolves around that one place that everybody has to go to or or goes by or has a reason. And the general store quite often is it, isn't it? Yes, the general store or the dump. (laughs) Yep, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, and um, we had in Cambridge uh, a place that became partly the template for my book live from the cafe we had a we had a uh, little diner called the coffee pot and all manner of you know locals hung out there but there was also the people who were passing through the the ski country people uh the people were headed to and from canada uh, or as as they like to call them in maine the summer complaints the Outlanders, the flat Flatlanders. Yes, Flatlanders. That's right, and um, it was always intriguing, you know, the people that would come through, and you know, you you created these interesting characters. And I wanted to ask this: Was Wild Mountain based on one specific town or one? Because I thought this could be anywhere in the Green Mountain State. Yeah, well, I, that's good because I was trying to make it intentionally vague. Was there any specific geographical areas or anything that just stuck out for you that said, this needs to be in it? I, I, I'm looking at the covered bridge, of course, and then another Ver- Vermont icon for sure. Right, and that covered bridge, um, I forget which town it's in, but um, it's in the Green Mountains. And uh, I mean, that's a photograph. Um, but I, I was thinking of uh, Route 100, you probably know. Yep which goes north and south in the uh, western part of Vermont. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 got some beautiful little towns, and it's in the Green Mountains. So um, no specific town, but, but I mean, I, I knew a couple of small, uh, small town stores, you know, that were around me, but I tried not to make them exactly like those. Mm-hmm. And... You also capture another thing that I've I've often told people who've never been to Vermont. They they'll tell me, "I'm going for the first time. What am I? What should Burlington, which of course the largest city, and maybe some other areas?" I've always said that there's areas of Vermont that just remain so unspoiled, yeah. uh, and they're kind of like not so much the land that time forgot, but time was a little slower and. I was reminded this just a couple of years ago when I drove through the western part of the state to go home for a wedding, and I was reminded that, first of all, I don't generally travel in this part of the state, and I remembered what I saw the last time I was there, and it hadn't changed much, and kind of a calming sort of thing for me. I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah, it is nice when some things stay the same. Yeah. And Mona is a person who is seeing the change and is sort of living it. And uh, the layers that Mona has, you unpeel those as the story goes on. And did she come first to you for Wild Mountain? Was she someone that was sort of hanging in the back of your mind saying, put me in a story? Um, 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, as I said, I wanted to write from the man's point of view. And then, this, then of course, there was a store owner, and she was very attractive. And so <laughs> this is a, almost a cross-cultural romance between mm-hmm. uh, Mona and Frank. Mm-hmm. She was a country girl, and he was really a city boy. Um, and and um, yeah. go ahead. And his his arrival was intriguing. He just sort of sweeps in, and yet this is a guy who knows the area. He's been around. Right. He has this little cabin he's come to periodically uh, that he built himself from the whole Earth catalog. <laughs> and um, so what I was interested in, really, in this book, as in all my books, really, is, is how um, people, like, from different cultures or different uh, belief systems mm-hmm. come together in a, a community and how that, they clash and or how they mesh, you know, and get along. So in, in Wild Mountain, you know, Frank was from the city and she's a country girl. And then there's the um, same-sex marriage uh, controversy, which, which brought out a lot of um, different belief systems, obviously. And that is what I would like to take up when we come back from this break. My guest is Nancy Hayes Kilgore, author of the book Wild Mountain. You're listening to the Brown Posey Press Show. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books is the home of independent and diverse authors. Check out the agency books imprint for detective stories, tales of law enforcement, espionage, terrorism, spy thrillers, and more. Among the works available, KGB Banker by William Burton McCormick, The Apologist, a Luke Lundy novel by A.A. Weiss, and Douglas Brody's Sand or Once Upon a Time in the Jazz Age. Find these and other fascinating books at sunburypress.com. We're back, and my guest again is Nancy Hayes Kilgore, the author of Wild Mountain. We were just getting into the issue of gay marriage, and this came at a time in Vermont. Uh, You set the book in 2008, and this was just before such marriages were permitted in Vermont. Did you choose 2008 and that particular time in the state's history to, to bring this forward? Yes. Yeah, I really did. And um, let's see, I, I can't remember what year it was. I started the book, but it was, it was after 2008. But um, yeah, I thought that was a pivotal time. And, and that issue is, has been very big, of course, in the whole country. But um, mine's Take Back Vermont, which means, you know, don't give it to the gay people. <laughs> And it's it, it seems like the same arguments were trotted out, you know, for, I hate to say it, but it's like they were trotting out the same arguments on some levels, you know, for, you know, in, in with regards to racism. And in probably yes. decades before that, anti-Semitism and, and different things of the sort. Yes. And my own experience growing up dealing with, you know... Racism on a certain level, mostly from, I guess you could say, I hate to say it, members of my family, more ignorance, I think, than and prejudice. And yeah. the people, when you know, around you, friends, I was just thinking of this this morning, friends of my father, some of the stuff they'd say. And it mm-hmm. would be like, I was taught better than this. And yet you hear it and you are a product of that environment. And it's it's difficult. It's difficult because you just don't 
you, when you're young, especially, you become confused by it. In terms of uh, homosexuality, the same thing. It was like I went through nothing different than any other kid growing up, which was if you were perceived at all different, then you must be gay. So it was like, oh, you play in the high school band, you play an instrument, you must be gay. Oh, my gosh. You know, you're in theater, you must be gay. So narrow, yeah. And it's awful. You live with it somehow. And I just feel like it's been amped up so much worse for people in these generations. And it's like, it's like, have we not learned anything? Yeah, yeah. And and it's still, as you say, it's still so divided. Um, well, what I was hoping for in Wild Mountain was to bring people together who were at these opposite ends of the spectrum in in some way that they could hear each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you know, might not be totally realistic, but I think it happens sometimes. Yeah. In terms of the issue, civil unions were permitted in Vermont in 2000. But you also laid, as we're talking, the ground for the argument. And uh, again, it's like there's that fear of change. And it's it's frightening to a lot of people. Uh, yeah. What were you coming across uh, as you were writing this and researching it? What, what were you seeing that really was compelling to you as you wrote the book? In, in Vermont, in, in small-town Vermont? Yes. Um. Well, you know, I was really a flatlander, too. And um, so my husband and I had lived in Massachusetts before we moved. And so I, I didn't get, and I was involved in, a, um, not exactly academic, but the medical academic community uh, around Hanover, New Hampshire. Right. Um, so I was sort of not in that, you know, local crowd, uh, local uh, friends and, and things. I mean, most of my friends were you know, sort of academic or medical or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I guess um, it was uh, it was, I had to make it up. I mean, and mm-hmm. what some people said is is you know this this is like my small town and they come from Colorado or something. Yep. So that I, that pleased me that it was sort of universal. Well, it, it kind of was because it's like when I when I went to school in Maine, when I lived in Massachusetts myself for ten years, when I came to Pennsylvania over twenty years ago, the same kind of thing. And um, uh, getting back to some of the characters, um, you you have. You have to have an antagonist, and it seems like the Perry family is that. And these, as I was talking earlier about, some of these folks were people that my father might have called friends, but I don't think he would have subscribed to some of those things. And those are the kids I went to school with. And um, you must have had some good fodder for those kind of characters as as you came along, wherever you might have been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, you know, homophobic. Um, pretty ignorant uh, part points of view, mm-hmm. and yeah, you did hear that a lot. I mean, it wasn't just in Vermont, but you know, this seems like the small rural small towns is more insular and uh, more stuck with 
to tradition and the way things have always been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so having a, a, some, you know, suddenly <laughs> confronted with with the fact that there are homosexual people in the world and they might even be in your little town. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people get angry, not only scared, but so then the lines are drawn, the battle lines are drawn if there's any issue in the um, within mm-hmm. the town. And this is the thing that I've always remembered. It was, you know, New Englanders are generally seen as people who say what people do in their private lives is their own damn business. And then yeah. there always seem to be caveats. Like, you know, it's and it's like, you know, I, I, I grew up with the mentality and the attitude of what people do in their own homes is their thing. And mm. you do not, you know, you do not mind other people's business. But we did have some folks that just couldn't resist. And it's like, well, you know, it's like, why are you making this your business? <laughs> kind of the, the contradiction here. Yeah, yeah. That's a good good point. Yeah. And the thing, too, is it's through the characters that Mona's past is brought back. And then suddenly here comes Mona's ex-husband, Johnny. And it was like he becomes a vehicle for another level of conflict, isn't it? For for Mona, yeah. here's a new problem to solve, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was fun creating that history for Mona. I mean, not that it's a nice history, but um, you know, she escaped this abusive husband, and oh, whoops, he's <laughs> he's coming back. So you know that was tension. What does she do? What what happens? Uh, yeah, and it's it's like it's swirling all around her. It's like here's mm. all this thing happen, all this conflict at once, and it's like coming from different fronts, right? And she's she's involved in in the town, you know, controversy about uh, the gay marriage issue, and her, of course, her best friend is a lesbian, and uh, and then you know she's in this romance, and that has a few snags. <laughs> so yeah. You know, you 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 take uh, writing classes, and they say there has to be tension. <laughs> yeah, and it's in yeah. the thing too is that relationship seems. I don't want to say restrained. I don't think it is. It, it, there's there's a regard that Mona has that these two women have for each other that was really unique. It was there was it was a cerebral level more I think than physical and there was just this there's this wonderful connection. Oh it, you mean Mona with Roz for Yes, friends? yes. Mm-hmm. And it's that's a hard thing to build unless you've had for me it's like my relations that I write about in my stories often they weren't always mine, but I draw on my own limited relationship experience and I just try to think, okay, does this work? Because each relationship's a little bit different. Did you draw mm. on different ones that you saw or your own, maybe? Right. And what would I feel like in this situation? And um, yeah, I always uh, identify with my characters. I, I think that makes the characters more real when you can kind of get into their skin and, and think, what did they think? What did they feel? You know, what would they do in this situation? Um, my other book, My Bitter Magic which is historical fiction, it was really a challenge. <laughs> mm-hmm. Try to get into somebody's head in the 17th century. 
and the history is one thing, and then it's like trying to delve into that and trying to figure out, you know, trying to put yourself in another time. I've 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 found that there's a lot of work to do with that, and uh, yeah. and and that's the other thing is it's like a lot of people don't realize that most of us don't just sit down and write. We do. A, <laughs> there's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of um, thinking and researching and writing and then rewriting and then getting feedback and mm-hmm. <laughs> sending it out and getting rejections and <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, figuring out about publishing. Yes, exactly. Well, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about you when we come back from our next break. Nancy has Kilgore is my uh, guest here on the Brown Posey Press Show. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Sunbury Press Books opens the door to Pennsylvania Dutch and German history with our imprint, Distelfing Press. Learn about the Pennsylvania Dutch by Frederick Cleese, Conrad Weiser, and the Indian Policy of Colonial Pennsylvania by Joseph Walton, and Lancaster's Golden Century by H.M.J. Klein. Check both fiction and nonfiction works at sunburypress.com. We're back. Nancy Hayes Kilgore, the author of Wild Mountain, is my guest here. And I wanted to get into some of your history because it has lent itself to your books, as it always does with us. Uh, Tell us a little about your beginnings. Uh, You talked about being in Massachusetts earlier. What was your upbringing like? What what experiences were the early ones for you? Yeah, well, I grew up in Pennsylvania, uh, western Pennsylvania, um, and um, it was a, very, a small town, not a suburb of Pittsburgh, and so not not a really rural place. And um, well, when I was a teenager, I uh, went to New York and decided. I, uh, I, well, I had actually decided I didn't believe in God at the age of thirteen, and announced to my parents I wasn't going to church. Hmm. And my mother, I feel bad now because my mother was hurt. But they let me get get away with that. I, it was a pretty, um, not exactly religious family, but, you know, faithful church going. And anyway, then I, when I went to college and I sort of um, got into uh, social actions, uh, protesting the Vietnam War and things like that. Mm-hmm. And became, then I became a feminist. And, um, and then I... But I, I still had this sort of spiritual yearning. And so I got into Eastern, not exactly Eastern religion, but yoga. And I lived in a yoga ashram for a while. And um, when I was there, I I was meditating on Christ. And mm-hmm. I suddenly thought, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian. <laughs> so that started a long journey of going back to, to going to seminary and then uh, getting a uh, degree in pastoral counseling, which has been my main occupation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so, so I've had a lot of different iterations in my life and a lot to draw on in that sense. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think when you were 13 made you say, I do not believe in God? What Was there something that was pivotal that just, that made you make that declaration? Because that's not something you take lightly. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, that's a good question. I haven't actually asked it. I just remember the feeling of uh, feeling oppressed. Like I had to go to church mm-hmm. every Sunday. That's what you do. No questions. And of course, then you become an adolescent and start questioning. Um, 
And yeah, I really, I can't remember, you know, how I came to that conclusion, but I remember very clearly believing that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my family was the same. We were not religious, but you know, I did go to Sunday school till I was about 12. And then on Sundays, they needed me on the farm. And I was, I kind of preferred that, I guess. And I just remember sort of having my faith questioned by others and not for a good reason. And it was... You mean like being accused or... Well, I was, I was, I was getting a ride to my high school with a teacher and some of her carpool mates were born again Christians and all they would do, they were absolutely utterly obsessed with it. And when they found I was a Protestant in name only, I didn't say anything more than that. They were trying to convert me and Uh, it was abusive. And I was just like, this is not what I grew up with. This is not the congregational church I went to. This is not what Mm -hmm. I believe. And I thought, is this what we've turned into? Is this what we are? And and then, of course, it's it's interesting because I went to a Catholic college, <laughs> and oh. that was intriguing because I I'm very happy to say I was never given any trouble for being Protestant or or yeah. or being I I didn't really know what I was, and I I had a great experience. I had a great education. I had no problem with any of it really, but again, it's like years later. You're like, I went, you know, and same thing. I delve into Eastern religions. I consider myself Buddhist. I delved into paganism. And I loved that you had pagan Wiccan spirituality in Wild Mountain. Because it was like, for me, it's like a dual path. And it was like, oh, this is is cool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. It was nice to see that. And no, I was like, I just found it so interesting. It's like, you've drifted between different things. But it's like, it's a nice natural it was a natural thing, sort of almost like a natural uh, moment of clarity, right? When you said, this is what I am. It must be something. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, Vermont is full of people who are um, communing with nature in various ways and finding spirituality there. And I guess I'm one of them. You know, I'm, I'm actually sort of a universalist. Uh, so I, I like to look at the different ways people experience the spirit. Mm-hmm. And among your other things you do, you lead workshops for like creative writing and so forth. What is it like to lead a workshop and how do you set it up? How do you structure it? Um, well, I, I, my specialty as a therapist was cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. and, and spirituality. So I sort of combine those in retreats and workshops that I do. Um, this one workshop I'm doing, I've been doing for a long time on a monthly basis now. It's, it's very simple. I mean, it's a very simple structure, and I just um, sort of pick a theme and a poem, you know, that might fit that theme, and um, then read that, and then we just have a silent meditation. Uh, for 10 minutes, and then we write from a prompt and then come back and share. And uh, it, it really works. It's, it's People really like it. That's interesting. And that that's new for me, but I, I find that interesting. It's like, it's like you're listening to the silence. 
Mm-hmm. Trying to let go of, you know, all these, I, sh- I should be right. I should be published. I should be doing this and I'm not good enough. And mm-hmm. <laughs> all cognitive restructuring, just listening to those thoughts and letting them go. And that is the difficult thing is to let, is the letting go. And, yeah. and also to realize the hardest part for so many folks that I've worked with there. And, and I struggled with it too throughout my life is that, that fear or the resignation that you're not good enough. And yeah. you have to really, it, it all goes back to, you know, stop beating yourself up. This is going mm-hmm. to happen when it will, but again, it's like you let that go kind of thing. Right. And just saying, well, so what, you know, this is not about, <clears throat> this is not about getting an A or, you know, getting a publisher of Harper Collins. This is about creativity and you can do that anytime. You know, you can, you can just write. And mm-hmm. that's what we try to do is let go of all the sensors and just, just write. And it's amazing how people come up with such incredible uh, pieces. You know, from one prompt, everybody has a way different experience. And it's really nice to, to get to know people in that way. You just hear really intimate parts of their lives. Uh, and and they find out a lot about themselves too, don't they? Yeah, yeah. In terms for yourself, um, I know there's really no hard and fast rule on how to. Um, for your style of writing, do you have any necessities when you go in? Is there any sort of, is there like anything that you think about, write down or plot out before you sit down and, and set to the draft? What is there anything that you prepare in a specific way for? Well, usually I, I'm more of a pantser, you know, in seat of the pants rather than a plotter. Okay. So I um, usually, you know, I'm just sitting down and looking at what I've already written and think, oh, what comes next? Or, you know, what else is part of this story? And, um, but but then sometimes you have to kind of look at, step back and look at the structure. What's happening? You know, what what is going on in the story? And uh, move things around, and but for the first draft, I pretty much try to just be spontaneous. Mm-hmm. And then, then comes the editing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's um, I, I think it's different for each of us again. But it's like I find myself going through numerous edits, and yet at the same time, it's I can be my own worst critic about the way I use words and the way that I structure things and, and, yeah. and so forth. I think we all do that. But at the same time, I'm getting a very interesting feeling I've noticed over the years when I'm doing editing. It's like, I've done this. I've written this. All mm-hmm. I'm doing now is I'm just pruning the tree a little bit. I'm, I'm, you know, stripping oh, a few yeah. leaves, fixing a few things. And I find I don't, it, it doesn't bother me to edit anymore. It's like, I feel like I've done this. This is, this was fun. Now I'm going to have more fun. That's the way I look at it. Cause I don't really see any of it as work. I see this. I have always seen this as, as incredible fun. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do too. Uh, uh, sometimes and then I just enjoy, you know, when I'm reading what I've written, Oh, what, what's a better word for that? You know, and I have <laughs> Luckily, we have an online 
thesaurus. You know, just quick, find another word. Um, I do but, that a lot. Uh, my my mentor always kept a thesaurus right by his side, and I immediately had to go out and buy a new one. And <laughs> af- and other than, but yeah, thesaurus dot com is is lovely. So it's like. It's like, and then suddenly I'm reminded, it's like, look at all these words I could have used. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get more ideas, right? Yeah. So sometimes the online world is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> getting back to some of the other writing that you've done, uh, short stories getting published. One I'm always interested in because I've worked in broadcasting all these years. How did you end up on Vermont Public Radio? What was that like? Oh, well, um, let's see. I just, I had an idea for a story. It was a Vermont story. I used to ride the train from uh, Hanover when we moved um, to Burlington. Mm-hmm. And um, I was still working. I still had my office in Hanover. And uh, so I just came up with the idea about a story about a train and going through little small towns and um I pitched it to the, uh, the person there at VPR, and she, she liked it. So, you know, it's kind of a, a pretty small writing community. After a while, you get to know a lot of the other writers, and, and that's that's kind of nice. So it's kind of neighborly. And were you, now, did you read it yourself, or did someone else? I read it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's uh, and when you heard it back, I, I, what was your reaction to to your work coming out like that? Hearing my voice, you mean? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I think I thought it was pretty good. Usually, I, I after I do something like this or like talk to you, I think, oh, that was awful. How could I, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> think of all the things that I should have said or could have done but um well of course reading a short story is different because you're just just reading i know and i i had been um pretty used to public speaking in my life you know i had been a parish pastor for 12 years Mm -hmm. Um, so i was pretty comfortable in that venue that's cool well with wild mountain uh, what comes next for for you, Nancy? What's uh, what is on the horizon for future projects? Well, I, I'm working on something. I hope it turns into a book. Um, it's a story, sort of a dual timeline story, uh, based on my grandmother in the ni- early 1900s and my mother in um, during World War II, and just as young women. Mm-hmm. And got inspired because of my, I have a trove of letters that my grandmother wrote at that time. And she was very um, articulate so, and feisty. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> I never knew this grandmother because she died when my mother was born. Mm-hmm. So I guess part of it is wanting to make you know, a story, and discovering, <laughs> making it up, but discovering it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and going back into your family is something that my sister Susan has been tracing our genealogy for pretty close to 50 years now. It has been an obsession for her and a great one. We've 
just learned so much about our families and what we were really like and you know what was vermont like back in the day and so your family was long time vermont yes i mm-hmm. it was uh, there are gates all over vermont that are not related which is perfectly common but it was uh, it was just amazing that these people would suddenly come to life and relatives and and friends and others helped out by unearthing you know these like these troves of photographs and postcards mm. and letters and it was like this is this is really amazing to read and uh it gives us that connection and it kind of it it, it kind of it, it informs you as to this is what you came from yeah and it makes the people real i mean yeah. you know even in my uh bitter magic book about set in the 17th century mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's automatically I at least and a lot of people just dismiss the past as you know they don't feel what we feel now and they didn't you know and but but when you get into that you realize oh these people were exactly like us mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know and the same feelings and the culture was different but um, emotions you know physical feelings. Everything. And it's very true that despite what is written in the Romantic period, it's like we weren't really that way. Uh, we've always been, you know, New Englanders tend to be a bit stiff. Yeah. I think it's changing. Reser- reserved. Yes, reserved. <laughs> I, it is changing, though. I, I do think it's changing. I think the times are changing. And yeah. as, as we talked about uh, the gay marriage issue, much more accepted now and uh, – we're starting, you know, the, the wind of change is, is, is that very slow coming, but it's like, it's also it's part of the world we want to see, and it's also the world we are seeing. I'm sorry, what was that? It's This is partly the world that we want to see, and it's the one we are seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's really changing uh, a lot. And, you know, in, in Vermont, it was in the 60s, and hippies started coming, as you probably know, and, and changing the... You know, and then there was a culture clash, mm-hmm. um, but those different groups are, are coming together now. I mean, people are not so isolated anymore when when they live in the rural, so they're more connected. And I, you know, the internet has certainly been part of that, but I think yeah. there has been, a, well, you know, the hippie culture, I, I was a little too young to understand the portent of the Vietnam war, but I remember certain things. Mm. I remember my older brothers and their opposition to, to the war and that we should not be doing this. And, Mm. um, there was a bit of a clash in the family. I remember very little about it though. So I really shouldn't say, but I just have those very, very vague recollections as a child. And further on, we see again, yeah. We see the change, and we see that. I think I, I th- you know, the world is getting. I'd like to think the world's getting a little better, despite all things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're more. We know more about each other now, and you know, it's harder to hide things like you know abuse and racism. And- mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Well, my last question, and this is usually what I finish with Nancy what's the one piece of advice you could give for a writer or a would-be writer 
what's the best thing you can can offer them? Hmm. Well, I think I would say um, walk the sensor out the door and close the door and just write. Well, all right. Well, our guest has been Nancy Hayes Kilgore, the author of Wild Mountain. Thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tori. It's been nice talking to you. You've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show with your host, Tori Gates. Find his works, including Searching for Roy Buchanan, Call It Love, and Shake Hands with the Devil, along with more independent authors of fiction and nonfiction at sunburypress.com. Thank you for listening. This is the BookSpeak Network.